Welcome to a dialogue on accountability in the digital age. A dialogue with a global multi-stakeholder community representing national and local governments, international policymakers, civil society, NGOs, the ICT industry, as well as other relevant organizations and institutes. I'm your host, Fritz Bussemaker, and today I'm delighted and privileged to have a conversation with Professor Christiane Wuppen. Uh, Christiane, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Fritz. Yeah. And allow me to introduce uh, Professor Christiane Wuppen. She's the Executive Director of CIRUS at the University of Cologne in Germany. Now, she has a background in medicine. She's a doctor. She has a doctorate in medicine and is a medical ethicist. And uh, she was the chair of the European Group in Ethics. Now, again, Christiane, may I call you Christiane? Of course. Yes. Um, you are the executive director of CERES. Maybe first explain to the audience what CERES is. Yeah, CERES is an acronym. It's uh, for so the Center of Ethics, Rights, Economics, and Social Sciences of Health. And we deal with the uh, transformation in the digital age, with health literacy, and with the aging society. Those are the three focus areas, and we do it in a transdisciplinary way. That's the most important approach. Yeah, so we see that it is important to be very good in your discipline, but you have to bring together the disciplines and to work in an interdisciplinary and transdisciplinary way to solve the problems of this world. I already like that very much because it's very similar to the approach of the Institute for Accountability in the Digital Age, which really aims to bring together a global multi-stakeholder community. Uh, maybe to actually beginning to touch on that, one of the things uh, we've noticed in bringing people together is you have to be very aware of the jargon, the various language people use to describe things. So how do you deal with that? So oh, absolutely. So you can only involve people who are really inherently interested in this way of working. Yeah. Um, so if you take this so important notion of responsibility, so if someone coming from law, from sociology, from ethics, from psychology, from the media theory or so, use this notion, everyone means something else. So you first have to explain what you mean with these notions, responsibility or self-determination, autonomy. Talking about an autonomous car or autonomous driving is just ridiculous for a philosopher yeah, because the car doesn't decide to, doesn't say, well, I want to become a nurse now. Yeah, but that would be an autonomous decision yeah, to be someone else or something else. So we would talk about automated driving, but as you um, alluded to, it is important that you like to listen to someone else, that you are aware that you have to explain yourself, that nothing is self-understanding, but that you have just to be in a dialogue. Great. I, I like that approach. That's very dear to my heart. Now, the topic today is we're going to look at accountability ethics, uh, specifically also what the impact is on the medicine world. Uh, big data, robotics, uh, AI, artificial intelligence is rapidly and profoundly transforming healthcare at the moment. Um, as a medical professional, um, do you welcome that? Uh, what are your what are the the general the general thoughts on uh, that development at the moment? 
So first of all, I very much like it. And I think we should be faster, at least in Germany um, and, and more profound. It can make better diagnosis, research, therapies, prevention, um, an encompassing view on health like the World Health Organization already implemented in their constitution because you can bring together different data sets about behavior, about the molecular makeup of your body and so on. And you can run an AI, of course, all of that has to be qualitatively assured, of course, it's not that easy, but just to say where I have my hopes is that we can really have a huge progress and we can have on the one side, of course, the danger is we have discrimination and biases, of course, everyone knows about that, but we can avoid discrimination because we can bring together um, data from people where usual studies, according to evidence-based medicine, cannot give insights. So take elderly. Mm -hmm. um, I told you that we do aging research as well from a social sciences view. Um, they take a lot of drugs. So just try to get them in the gold standard of a double-blinded, um, randomized trial with a lot of standardized factors. So you'll never ever get enough people to really see how the different drugs work and what are the side effects, because they will be seldom and you need huge population to have research on. Um, so bringing real, real world evidence and real world data together will bring a lot of advantages and progress for people who cannot participate in, in, in advances from research up to now. Okay, so that's the, I'd say the, the positive promise as it were of technology. Um, how do you then uh, go about with uh, addressing the ethical issues? Because th they, they definitely are there. Yeah, they definitely are there. But I want to say, um, first of all, that I don't see ethics as only defining borders. Yeah, usually, if you sit on a panel as an ethicist, you're asked, um, where are the borders? Where are the limits? What shouldn't we do? <laughs> I first of all, ask, what should we do to foster the good? Yeah, so first of all, I say the digital technology can be a wonderful means to foster healthcare, health research, and make processes more efficient and so on. But of course, there are problems that we have to take into account. First of all, health data are very sensitive data. Yeah, they have to, uh, privacy has to be protected. The integrity of the person and the patient has to be protected. Not only the bodily integrity, but the personal integrity, the emotional integrity. Um, so not everyone should have access to personal health data, of course, but there are so many wonderful possibilities about data trusts and, and other identities identity technologies uh, that you can use to protect the people and nevertheless use the data. And then we can have regulation, of course. We have to take into account biases. If you only do research on white people, you get wrong results and, and yeah, harmful results, perhaps even for people of color or people in other cultures, other continents and so on. So all, the, all of these things have to be taken into account. And also what do you do with the data? 
our data our privacy regulation is mainly focused on data minimization yeah as at yeah as few data as possible i think for the advantages you have to get as many data as possible but we should prohibit that there's something harmful done with them afterwards so it should be for example prohibited that an insurer when when you want to get a life insurance um can use those data yeah uh, or that your that your employer can use the data so we have to guarantee that there is no disadvantage if someone gets a not adequate access to these health data now let me then ask you uh collecting data uh who should collect that data and that depends on the purpose okay now let me rephrase the question uh as a medical uh professional you've taken the hippocratic oath uh but in a lot of cases the organizations which uh collect that data just look at the big social media platforms out there who who are collecting medical data at the moment uh they've not done that so mm -hmm. there's not that checks and balances so how do you then um get them to uh incorporate uh to the standard or the quality which you as a medical professional um adhere to now i think quality standards and so on. so there are many levels of regulation it's not all about law it's also about self regulation about certification so there are so many corners where you can come around to um yeah, to to assure this quality transparency accountability responsibilities codes of conduct and so on there are so many possibilities and opportunities to assure that but i think we cannot um yeah, yeah we need regulation for these powerful business models that come around health data and you even can infer health data so you can see what is the risk for hypertension for example or for alzheimer's dementia just um, or for parkinson's disease just by tracking and monitoring the movement um habits or the what is it called the speed yeah. where you can move on your touch screen and so on so they can diagnose something where you are not in a health context at all yeah so and all this of course has to be framed uh i understand that so i realize that technology can actually detect uh situations you're not aware of neither is your your doctor or the medical professional uh i can also imagine that a lot of people just don't want to know yet so mm -hmm. uh we are in a situation that technology is actually allowing us to know much more about uh ourselves uh, about uh, healthcare maybe then we actually want to know so is technology may maybe moving too fast for us in that sense i think technology has to take into account that a person is an autonomous being and that everyone has a right not to know so let's take an the example or that's a hypothetical situation that a social media platform 
infers that you are in risk to get Parkinson's disease and they offer you something, yeah, because according to that profiling, they have a standardized way to offer you some products or even they can offer you a visit by the doctor. And then, but this offer alone conveys you the information that there could be a risk of having Parkinson's disease. I think they should ask before if they are allowed to do this profiling at all. I think these profiling attitudes for mostly advertising purposes is a bit underregulated at yes. the moment. Yeah, some regulations definitely uh, required. I think there's a consensus in the, in the world that that's needed, um, which does raise for me the question, um, do you think there is enough understanding of the technology we just discussed uh, with your peers in the medical sector? Do they really understand what AI can do? Yeah, some of them, of course, but I think not all of them. I think that is, uh, but this is a question for the whole society. So yeah. there has to be a lifelong learning. I think from the kindergarten on to school, to universities, to, to other kinds of, um, of education and not ending in the workplace and with retirement, but even in, in, in the older age, uh, there has to be a lifelong education and learning about the very fast developing technologies and what they do to society. But it's not only about understanding the technology itself, it's about the uh, reflecting what it does with our societies and what we want to be and which society do we want to have and to live in. In that sense, uh, you see, uh, the um, uh, technology moving so fast, and that's actually the reason why the Institute for Accountability is set up, that we see that the, the framework to control that technology cannot keep up with the legal uh, and regulatory framework. Uh, so there's a gap, and the gap is growing at the moment. Um, What's your assessment from a medical perspective on that gap? Is that a concern or uh, are we still optimistic? Uh, it's a concern and as a person, I'm always optimistic, <laughs> but it is a concern, of course. Um, I think Europe has some activities. So yeah. they implemented the general data protection regulation that was a great step forward, the GDPR. Um, and they are on their way to develop and implement a regulation on artificial intelligence, though I would prefer to do a regulation on algorithmic systems. They don't have necessarily to be an artificial intelligence system. So it's all about the technological and socio-technological ecosystems that we implement in our societies and that more and more determine how we live. Um, so they are on their way. They are a bit late, but at least they start. So let's do this together. And I am very much in favor for education. Okay. Uh, so bringing people really to think and to behave according to what they feel is important and valuable. Okay, now you just mentioned uh, this is, um, we're catching up as Europe and Europe indeed developed the GDPR uh, and we might need something similar for AI. Uh, but we also see a situation that uh, on a, in the globe 
that a lot of the, the developments of uh, AI and which we're using are going to be developed in the States or developed in, uh, in Asia. So how can we then cope with uh, that need, that requirement? I think the only possibility is to engage in business models and very good business models and to foster innovation systems that are fast and sustainable. Yeah. So we don't have this scaling attitude in Europe. We have to foster this, yeah, this upscaling and so on. Uh, and the innovation system, at least in Germany, is not very fast. Mm. Yeah? And there are so many bureaucratic burdens and, and hurdles. So it is important to foster these institutional designs to keep up with the international um, situation without compromising the values that the European Union has as its foundation. Yeah, so the Charter of Fundamental Rights, mm -hmm. I think if we are serious with them, they foster progress and innovation and solidarity, for example, um, and we shouldn't have an ethics washing or an, sort of an ethical coming down to the lowest standard that is that seems to be the most successful in the international arena. Okay, and now who, who should be at the table to get there? To Who are the stakeholders as far as you're concerned in your field which need to be brought together? I think roughly everyone. <laughs> so okay. everyone should have a voice. I like these consultation processes and so on where you really can gather opinions where would I, I like very much if those groups are heard and listened to that usually don't have a voice, especially in the international arena when working in the International Bioethics Commission at UNESCO, for example, I learned a lot about those where we don't hear so much about here in Germany, newspapers or so. So how indigenous people think about genomes, for example, what they mean to them is something completely different to our German view on a genome, on a human genome. Um, and stakeholders should, should be societal stakeholders, but of course also industries, companies, um, politicians anyway, um, and older, younger people, a great diversity so that we have all the views together. Well, that's going to be quite a challenge because uh, it is complex, uh, I know from first hand, but uh, I, I think I, I, I agree with you. We need to have all those people at the table. Uh, it needs to be an inclusive discussion. Mm -hmm. And that's also why I do hope that a community like the Institute for Accountability can help. Um, so I was wondering, um, what do you see as the biggest value which an institute like IFRA-ADA can, uh, can offer in this discussion and maybe also in your field? I think the most important issue and the most important contribution you can make is to bring people together to have understandable information for different groups in society. So also the IT and the ethics language is always special. So um, to what I actually like and what I want to do when changing to the University of Bonn in, in October okay. is um, to bring a topic on the table 
and to gather several views on it so that people are empowered to build up their own opinion. Okay. Yeah? Because we don't have this one orienting system in our society. And it's challenging, it's hard and it's strenuous to build your own opinion and to make up your mind. And you only can do it if you have enough information from different perspectives. And to bring that together would be a wonderful um, okay. contribution of your institute. Definitely pick up the challenge. And I very much like the fact that we were almost at the end of the discussion that we also are ending where we started when you described Ceres, the need to bring all these people together, but also realize uh, that language uh, and words and phrases we use, terms we use, we need to be able to understand that. Uh, so full circle, but before we finish, um, I read up and watched a couple of the interviews you've been, uh, you've given over the years. And I was quite curious that you also recommended people to watch the selfish ledger. Uh, and that, that's uh, on YouTube. Could you please explain uh, what that is and why you find that so important that people know about this? Yeah, that's only, I think, nine minutes or so. It's not a long video. It seems to be having been leaked uh, by Google uh, or by someone who made it for Google and, and then it was leaked. And it describes how data driven and in very, very clever ways really with a lot of talking images and um, so yeah it's really impressive I, I think it took me four hours to analyze it in detail but um, so it describes how data-driven technologies and business models come with very good goals sustainability goals combating poverty disease and so on and we have environment and so on, all these wonderful UN sustainability goals, of course, uh, but coming with a very manipulative approach and um, alluding to a view of the world where everything is data driven. And I have another view on the human being and on the world, as you certainly recognized I like data and yes. Yes. I see the advantages of data, but life is more than a collection of data. And this surplus of data, what is life actually for? When do I feel vivid? What do I feel or see as a valuable life where I am, uh, where I am in resonance to other people, to nature, to something transcending this world or so. This is life where you feel really alive. And that's more than having data. And these data-driven models are described in a very impressive way. Okay, well, we'll definitely make sure that we include the link to that video uh, in the description of this uh, video. Uh, raises me one final extra, extra question, uh, but a very significant one. Um, all those organizations of people collecting the data, how do we keep them accountable? How do we make sure that they do what we want them to do and do not do what we don't want them to do? Behaving responsible as consumers, yep. challenging them with our attitudes, being in dialogue with them and inviting them to self-regulation 
and not only bringing ethical principles on the internet. <laughs> and uh, regulation at the end is necessary as well. It, it can only be a framework, of course, it cannot go into detail. But to have a general framework was also one of the recommendations of the German Data Ethics Commission. Okay, do I, uh, do I hear you correctly if you say that accountability also begins with your own personal behavior, how you look and react to the system? I think so, because accountability has a strong relation to responsibility and we are all responsible for what we're doing. Hey, that's a very good way to end this uh, dialogue. Christian, I want to thank you so much for uh, sharing your thoughts. And you've made me very curious to watch now the selfish ledger again and see if I also need four hours to, to understand that. Uh, probably more, but uh, again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me.